0: All right. Well, good morning, River City. It is good to be with you. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, thankful to get to open God's Word with you guys this morning as we uh, set our hearts on on the Christmas Advent season. Hopefully your families are getting ready. We introduced my children to uh, the glorious movie of Elf last night. Uh, Caleb was just like distraught over the doctor scene where he like DNA tests to see if He's like, He's like, he heard him. I can't believe what's happening. This is something traumatic. And out of all of it, Emma at the end got out of it. She's like, see, Dad, I told you Santa was real, right? And I was like, I'm not sure how you got that out of this movie, but I guess that's where we're going. Okay. So... (laughs) Well, the last few months here at River City, we have been uh, we have been uh, diving into a series, taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter five, and we've been highlighting the idea that the fruit of the Spirit is is not merely some list of virtues that we're just trying to uh, trying really hard to attain, but rather the fruit of the Spirit are character qualities, things that are pr- uh, produced in us inevitably when the gospel takes deep root in our heart, and so we've been talking about that for the last. couple couple of months, but this morning we're kind of taking a little one-week detour this week as we uh, head into Luke chapter 2 and just think about the Christmas story as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, And, and so I'm looking forward to doing that with you. I think one of the most important things that we can do every year as we seek to prepare our hearts to remember and celebrate Christmas rightly is is to remind ourselves and to keep coming back to the truth about what Christmas is really all about. And, and I don't mean that just in contrast to maybe a secular view of the holidays where Christmas is just about family or just about friends or traditions or whatever, but, but I mean really for us as followers of Jesus, what, what is it that Christmas is really all about? Because I think that even for us, we often miss what the, what the birth of Jesus is really all about, why it's good news that it's really worth celebrating. Uh, for my kids, uh, Christmas is inherently tied with celebrating Jesus' birthday, right? And uh, this Advent season, I have been trying to help them see that uh, Christmas is about more than that. And, and what I want to show you as well this morning is that Christmas isn't ultimately about celebrating a birthday. It's about rejoicing in a rescue, that has finally come. It's Christmas is really the story of an impossible rescue mission, much more than it is a birthday. And, and it's only when we see the story of Christmas as a rescue mission that's only when we're able to celebrate it rightly and, and see it rightly. And so with that in mind, let's pray and we'll dive into our time in God's word this morning as we seek to prepare our hearts to celebrate Christmas. So, Jesus, thanks so much for our time together this morning. Thanks that you would allow us to gather and that we might be able to study your word. We're grateful for that. Uh, God, we just come dependent on you this morning, asking that you would meet us in our time in your word, that you'd be empowering me to teach and to and to preach what is right and true and good in a way that's compelling, God. But, but more than that, God, we, we also need you to enable us to respond rightly to your word. And so we just come dependent on you this morning, asking that you'd meet us in our need for you, Jesus, that you would be working in our hearts for our joy, for our good, and ultimately, God, we ask that you do all that for your glory in all the world, so we pray that in your name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are in Luke chapter 2, probably a familiar passage as we remember the story of Christmas this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 begins this way. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. For I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the uh, the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord's told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. Well, this morning as we uh, think about Christmas and the, and the story here that points us that direction, our, our passage begins obviously with the birth of Jesus and and basically what I kind of imagine is like an angelic flash mob. I mean, like things got pretty crazy pretty quick that that, that evening out in, the, out in the fields there. And it's the, it's the message of these angels that I want to focus on this morning as we think about Christmas. You see, it's a, it's a message that they say is good news that will bring great joy to all the people. And so the question is obviously... What's the good news, right? What's, what's something that's going to be great joy to all the people? Well, the message is simply this, they say, that a Savior has been born. You know, I think as we think about Christmas, it's important that we, we can't miss the, the message of these angels. That the, the message of a Savior is only good news if you need saving, the message of a Savior is only good news if you're saving. You see, the reality is that good news is only good if there's bad news. And the angels, the message of their good news is good news because it comes in the face of bad news. If you've been around River City for long enough, you've heard me tell this story. But but Hannah and I are super blessed. We have two beautiful kids, and we're so grateful for them. But, but for uh, for over a year, we weren't sure if we were ever going to be able to have kids. And uh, we had been trying to get pregnant for over a year, and it just wasn't happening. And, and I felt like we had kind of gone through all the phases of, like, you're excited, and then you're just, you're gonna, you're waiting, and then you're kind of like, okay, um, let's, like, get things moving along here. Like, then you start to get concern and frustration, even fear sometimes, and each month would pass, and and still nothing. It was difficult. I remember asking a friend who had, uh, they had just gotten pregnant and they were expecting. And, and I asked him, how long, how long did you guys try for? And he's like, I don't know, once, who knows, Right. Uh, and he was excited, but it wasn't something that was like causing great joy for him. And, and so I, I remember the morning that we found out we were pregnant with Emma. Uh, I was in the shower, shampoo in my hair, and suddenly a pregnancy test gets shot through the curtain, right? And there's like an arm kind of waving around there, and there's like soap burning my eyes, right? And I'm just like trying to see what's going on and trying to figure out what's happening. And I just can't tell you how excited we were in that moment, And it was good news and it caused great joy because there was bad news that the good news was overcoming. You see, good news is only good if there's bad news. And the same is true when it comes to Christmas. You see, in order to understand why the message of the angels, the Savior that they proclaimed, is good news... You need to understand the bad news, right? You see, the good news of Christmas, it begins with the bad news in the garden. You see, when God created the world, everything was as it should be. Creation functioned in perfect order according to God's good and beautiful design, and Adam and Eve, they walked in perfect relationship with one another and with God, and in enjoying Him, enjoying one another, and treasuring God, and treasuring one another, and, and being loved by God, and loving one another, the, the, the Hebrew word that the Bible uses to describe that, that situation is the word shalom. And it's a it's a word that, that we often hear translated as peace, but it's about something much bigger than that. You see, shalom isn't just the absence of turmoil. It's not just the absence of, of strife. Shalom is about the presence of all that is needed for flourishing. Shalom is when everything is as it should be, as God designed it to be, especially in terms of a right relationship with God. But what we see when we read the story in Genesis is is that in an instant, all of that changed. The Shalom that was there is replaced by chaos. You see, sin had entered the world when Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the one tree that God told them not to eat from. and and creation was thrown into chaos. There's darkness and depravity and and shame and guilt and 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 uh, and selfishness. It floods the human heart. but even more significantly than that, uh, humanity's relationship with God is broken. But now instead of Shalom, there's and enmity instead of peace there's strife instead of instead of instead of relationship there's hostility you see sin had destroyed everything and you might be thinking that seems like a bit of an overkill kind of response for eating some fruit I mean like it seems a bit much right? But I think that's because we just don't understand what sin is. You see, sin sin is a lot more than just the Adam and Eve eating some fruit, right? That they were told not to. You see, sin's not just a mistake. It's not just a bad decision. You see, the root of the first sin and all sin since is the choice to reject God and His good authority in our lives. You see, instead of God telling us what is true and right and good, we want to be the ones that decide what is true and right and good. And instead of God instead of uh, God telling us what is good for us and best in our hearts and our lives we want to be the ones that decide what is good and true and best you see the reality is is that we want to be god you see it's the choice that ab and eve made in the garden it's a choice that every one of us has made as well and it leads to all kinds of wrong behavior it leads kind of all kind of disobedience unto god but wrong behavior is just a symptom of the real problem you see we want to be god We want to decide what is right and wrong. We want to be the rulers of our lives, and so we stage a coup against God, the rightful king and ruler of all things, the creator of it, You see, because sin is not just a mistake; it's not just a bad decision. Because sin is rooted in a mutinous rebellion that we have that we have done towards God in our hearts. It's not something you can fix yourself. It's not something you can just do and then take back. Right? You can't just start in a mutiny and just be like, "Ah, sorry, that didn't work out. My bad. Like, let's we'll we'll take it back." Right? That's not how that works. You see. You see, you can't change it. You Changing your behavior could never fix the coup that you staged against God. And so, like rightly, we deserve death for trying to overthrow the king and for making ourselves the ruler of our lives and our world when God rightly is. And we see that sin, Scripture tells us, has made us enemies of God. Ephesians 2 says that we are justly deserving of God's wrath. You see as we celebrate christmas as we think about that story we have to begin there because that's what we need saving from see the problem is is that all too often we're like kids playing near a swing set right and we don't realize the danger we're in. Any parent who's, who's watched their kids play around a place that knows that kids' favorite thing to do is to run back and forth behind the swings as they're going, right? Then they are totally and completely unaware of the danger that they are in. And it's only a matter of time before they get hit. There, there is, it's inevitable, right? You see, they're gonna get hit unless someone saves them. You see, in the good news of great joy that we celebrate at Christmas is that the Savior we needed had come. He came, verse 14 tells us, with a message of peace to those who were his enemies. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 22, it reads this way, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things in earth or things in heaven, by making... Peace through his blood which is shed on the cross. For once you were alienated from God. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You see, sin alienates us from God. It it makes us his enemies and there is an uncrossable chasm between us. You see, but the message we remember at Christmas is that Jesus came. The Savior we needed came to reconcile us to God. Jesus absorbed all of God's just wrath for our sin. He paid the penalty our rebellion deserved. He took the hit and only he could. You see, our sin is a sin against an infinite God. And so only an infinite payment could could pay the price. And so Jesus, as God, is the only one who could have paid the price for our sin. And the good news that Christmas that the angels are heralding is that although we were dead in our sin, enemies of God, as Ephesians 2 tells us, without hope and without God, yet at Christmas what we remember is that the angels came heralding that the Savior we needed had come. The rescue we needed was finally here. What makes it even more incredible, what makes the good news that brings great joy to all people even better is that it comes to shepherds. Not the kings of the world, not the religious leaders, not the scholars, not the morally upright, not the, those who looked clean on the outside. It comes to shepherds. Shepherds in the first century were considered to be liars and thieves, so unclean and morally reprehensible that they were not allowed to testify in a court of law. On top of this, they were fundamentally rejected by first century Jews because shepherds, by the nature of their work, they couldn't come to the temple for sacrifices because they were keeping watch over their flocks and, and they could not obey the cleanliness laws of other Jewish people. And so the religious elite of the day, they saw shepherds as unclean, as filthy, as unwanted, as those who were outside, of the good graces of God. And yet, when it comes time to herald the good news that the Savior has come, it comes to shepherds. It comes to those who are unclean. It comes to those who were considered to be liars and thieves, untrusted. It doesn't come to the morally upright, it doesn't come to the elite. It comes to the broken and the hopeless. You see, you and I, we are the shepherds. You see, we are not the morally upright. We are the broken. We are the hopeless. We, We should not have been the ones to whom the good news of great joy has been proclaimed. We have nothing to offer. We have nothing to give. We don't have any ground to stand on. God is not impressed with us. And yet we were given the joyous invitation to proclaim the message we'd heard. The message we so desperately needed to hear that the Savior had come, the Messiah had come, the Lord himself had come to be our rescuer, and we so desperately needed him to come. You see, this is what Tim Keller calls the the pattern of Christmas he says at Christmas we remember that Jesus was wrapped in simple old clothes, swaddling clothes. Later he would be stripped naked and put on display so that we could be clothed in his righteousness. At Christmas we remember that Jesus was laid in a rough wooden trough, a feed bin for pigs. Later on put on a wooden cross, an instrument of torture and shame so that we might be made to live in his house forever. At Christmas we remember that Jesus was rejected by the innkeeper. and Later at his death he would be rejected by all those who would yell for his crucifixion on the cross the father himself would turn his back on Jesus and so he was rejected so that you and I might be accepted you see his coming changes everything some of you are here this morning maybe for the first time what you are realizing is that you are in need of a savior That you stand as a mutinous rebel before God in his eyes. And the only way to change that is to receive his offer of salvation. To reach out and accept the hand of salvation that Jesus extends to you. You cannot save yourself. You cannot undo your own rebellion. But at Christmas what we remember is that the only one who could save us, he came. He came to reconcile us to God. To pay the penalty which only he could pay for our sin. So that we might be forgiven made new, adopted into his family. You see, at Christmas, the invitation every year, right, is not to behave. The invitation is that we should behold, to behold the Savior, the God of the universe who would become small, who would step into humanity to be the rescue that we so desperately needed. The invitation is to behold him, And to trust him, to be in awe of all that he has done. You see, and the same invitation is true for all of us, whether we've trusted him as Savior or not. You see, others of you are here and you've forgotten the goodness of the news that the angels proclaimed to the shepherd those 2,000 years ago. You've forgotten how much you needed saving. And how greatly God has met your need for it. You become self-righteous or apathetic or at Christmas you think, well, it's just here again. Well, we'll just go through the motions and loop it around every year. You see, and the message of Christmas is the same, to behold Jesus, our great and glorious Savior, the great God of the universe who would come to rescue a people while we were his enemies. So that in remembering him, in reminding ourselves about who He is, in sitting in the bad news for a minute so that we might the goodness of the good news might be good to us. Good news that, like the shepherds, couldn't keep to themselves. You see, it's Jesus' redeeming, renewing work, His promise-keeping work that we remember every week when we take communion reminding ourselves about Jesus' body and blood which came physically to this world to be our rescue so that he might live for us and die for us so that he might give us new life. You see, taking communion, it doesn't make you right with God, it doesn't save you, it doesn't change your status or your standing with him. Instead, it's a chance for us to remember, to remind ourselves that the Savior we needed came And that he came with a message of peace to those who were his enemies. He came with a message of peace to shepherds who were unworthy and unclean and undeserving and yet he comes with life. And so as we sing and as we worship and as we remember the gospel together in song, if you've put your trust in Jesus... If he is the savior you have trusted to rescue you from your sin, then whenever you are ready, go take communion. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to have trusted Jesus. But if not yet, if you're here this morning and you're still figuring out who Jesus is to you and and if you really need the saving that he offers, I want to encourage you. I want to let you know you are welcome here in this church. You are welcome to be in process here so glad that you would even be here. And if there's anything we can do to serve you, I'd love to do that. But I would encourage you, hold off on taking communion. See, communion is about celebrating and remembering the Savior who has come for you. Before you take communion, receive Jesus as the Savior you need. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you this morning. We're grateful to get to remind ourselves not just that we needed saving, but that the Savior we needed came. Thank you, Jesus, that, that you came for us to rescue us. God, you came to rescue us before, we, oftentimes before we even knew we needed a rescue. You came in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our alienation from you. You come with a message of peace for us. And so, God, we pray that you would cause the goodness of the message the angels heralded those 2,000 years ago to lonely, undeserving shepherds, that you would cause it to be good news to us. Good news, Jesus, that brings great joy. Good news that we can't keep to ourselves. God, for our good, for our joy, help us to see how good it is that you came. That we might proclaim it to all the world so that there might be great joy in it. We pray these things in your name. Amen.